0: Welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams, and this is episode four. Highlight an initiative that I recently heard about that is being run by the Livestock Conservancy, and that is called Shear 'em to Save them which is a program designed to bring more awareness and more popularity to some rarer wools. It is a passport program actually, where you spend $15, you get a passport mailed to you and then you have up to three years to use as many rare wool breeds as you can in your fiber arts projects. And they have a list of participating producers that have the fiber for sale on their websites and in their shops and on their farms. And so once you make a purchase from them, it has to be 100% that breed, it cannot be a blend of any other type of fiber within the skein or the fleece. And it does have to be a minimum of four ounces. So once you do purchase that from a participating producer, they will mail you a stamp to put in your passport. So the more stamps that you have, the higher your chances are to actually receive a prize uh, from the conservancy. So there are different ones depending on the level that you reach. But one of the prizes, I think, for the highest amounts of breeds that you use, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but you do actually get a fleece from a Florida cracker sheep, which is actually considered in critical status. And you can learn more about that breed specifically on my most recent Wooly Wednesday Instagram post. And I will go ahead and link to that in the show notes as well. So today I'm actually going to be speaking with a producer who raises Shetland sheep. Now, Shetland are not considered a endangered breed anymore, but they did have a moment where they were. There was a point in time where consumers really just wanted white wool that they could dye or you know, use in any other way. And so some of the color variations that are in Shetlands began to kind of fade out as popularity for them waned. Now that has begun to shift. So they are considered in recovery. However, there's always a risk of things going the other direction if there becomes a lack of desire for those colors. So today we'll learn a little bit more about that and about the breed in general, and then going forward, I will also be working to find other critical and endangered breeds to talk about. You can learn more about the Shire'em to Save Them initiative at rarewolves.org. Now, on to the show. On the show today, I have Shepherdess Ann Choi of Middlebrook Fiberworks in Bedminster, New Jersey joining me, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for
1: having me. So just to start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Um, I raise a small flock of Shetland sheep on my farm in central New Jersey. Um, I take their fleeces to a small mill in Pennsylvania uh, where they spin it into yarn. I blend my Shetland fleeces with fine wool fleeces that I'll select throughout the year from other small fiber farms. And I like to add other fibers like silk or alpaca. Lately, I've been adding ramie. To, um, to make unique blends. Can you give us
0: some information about your flock specifically and, of course, anything else that you
1: might have on your farm? Sure. I have Shetland sheep, um, six of them. They're all in different colors, and they all have their own really distinct personalities. Um, I also have a couple of guinea fowl. Um, a couple summers ago, my fields were kind of overrun with ticks, and guinea fowl are pretty great at... Um, at eating the ticks in the field. So how did you get started with the
0: Shetland breed?
1: Well, I looked at a couple other breeds. I was considering the uh, South Down baby dolls. Um, mm, you know, yep. the little, <laughs> they look like little footstools, right? They're so rocky <laughs> and square. And uh, I was looking at uh, CVM, the California Variegated Mutant, the colored version of the Rommeldale. So I visited um, some farms and I talked to the breeders. And I um, I ran into Deb Robson, you know, um, she wrote the Fleece and Fiber source book, Mm -hmm. and I asked her, you know, she literally wrote the book, right, so I asked (laughs) her what kind of sheep she would raise, and she didn't even have to think about it. She said Shetland, and then she um, introduced me to a Shetland breeder who was there at the Garden State um, Festival, and that's who I ended up buying my sheep from. Um, I went to go visit her a couple times at her farm in Pennsylvania. And I was just charmed by her sheep. Um, The Shetlands are small. They're on the smaller size, which makes them more manageable for me. Um, And you know how when you think about sheep, you think about how um, they're kind of mindlessly following one another. And Shetland sheep are actually a little bit more individual than that. They kind of have their own ideas their hopes and dreams their own (laughs) opinions which makes them really interesting um since i just have a small flock um it's it's kind of fun for me to have a variety of colors and a variety of personalities so what kind of
0: personalities specifically do you think that you have in your flock
1: oh i have um moon and poppy are my twins and their temperaments are so similar they're very very steady um they love to be pet in the same way um Moon and Poppy. They love to be scratched on their necks, and when you scratch their necks, they'll kind of start arching their necks all the way up. Um, yeah, so they're my calmest. Um, and then there's Ruby. She's um, she's my little ginger sheep. And um, Ruby's a funny one. She's actually smart, which isn't always what you want in a sheep. <laughs> right? Uh, and Ruby really does have her own ideas and opinions she um, she likes to when I'm watching the sheep out in the field she'll come over with me hang out as if she's saying oh look at those sheep <laughs> you know she identifies more with me than with the sheep uh, when I'm working on the fencing she'll always follow me around just to see what I'm up to see if she can help um, <laughs> so she's always she's always a lot of fun to watch so when we're talking specifically about Shetland
0: Fleece. What makes it what it is? What makes it unique?
1: Um, Well, they're considered to be unimproved. Um, That just means that their breed, the fleece, hasn't been optimized for large-scale production. Um, Large-scale production requires uniformity within the breed And um, from flock to flock, sheep to sheep, and even on the sheep itself, on the individual sheep, you need to have a uniformity. Um, The fleece that you find at the neck should be the same as the fleece that you find by the bridge. Um, Shetland sheep are kind of the opposite. There's a huge variation um, in color and even type of fleece. Um, In my flock, Quinn and Phoebe have that classic Shetland look where they're kind of shaggy. Um, and their fleece is quite long and wavy, and um, their locks look like a big fat triangle. Um, it's not it's not a double coat because it's not two distinct coats. It's more like uh, there's a range from short and fine to long and, well, it's not coarse because it's still silky, um, mm. but thicker, and so it Graduates. It's not two distinct lengths, right? So mm-hmm. that's the classic Shetland. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, I have um, Poppy, and Poppy's fleece is more like a brick. It's flat on the top um, because there's no variation in diameter or in length. Um, it's very crimpy. So, but you know, she's a she's a full Shetland too. Um, And Poppy's fleece is the same from her neck to her bridge. Quinn and Phoebe, my more classic Shetlands, the fleece around their faces and their necks are super fine. Um, And traditionally in the Shetland Islands, that fleece is what would be used for making the next to skin garments. And the longer fleece would be used for outerwear or for blankets or for rugs. Um, And As a small farmer, it's kind of nice to have that variety. You know, I don't need 500 pounds of the same type of wool. Right. Right. Um, One day, I would love to have enough sheep where I can separate out the different types of their fleeces, have their neck fleeces spun into knitting yarn, and have the rest of their fleece made into blankets. Um, That versatility is really exciting to be able to work with and to kind of plan a um, around. And so then do you, right now, I know you said that you're hoping to separate
0: those in the future. So right now, are you just blending those all together? Um,
1: no, I've started to a little bit. Um, especially with, particularly with Quinn, because she's definitely, um, she's older than, yeah, she's on, she's, uh, I have four sheep who are three and, and two that are two. Um, So the older one, so Quinn is getting older and her bridge fleece, I've been starting to amass um, so that I can start make maybe one day. um, I'm putting that in my blanket stockpile. Mm. So yeah, yeah. So for Quinn, I'm definitely just taking her neck fleece. So when you actually have the yarn spun up,
0: so do you prefer, I know you said that you do a lot of blends. So I'm assuming then that your preference is to blend them with other fibers. Versus just leaving them as Shetland on its own, or do you do both?
1: No, I only like blends. Um, you know, I only do natural colors, and it's um, it's really fun for me to take my Shetland, my natural colored Shetlands, blend them with a fine wool um, fleeces that are also naturally colored, and that's how I get a certain amount of um, I don't know depth to my natural colors. Sure it's not one color and, um, it's, it's not marled exactly, but there's definitely a little bit of, um, a little bit of color variation. It's not a flat single color. Uh, Um, and that's why I also like to add, um, for the yarn integrity, um, so that it's lofty. I like to have the longer Shetland fleeces blended with a shorter fine wool that's crimpy, and then I like to add something that's smooth and shiny, and that's where the silk silk, and the raimi come in. Um, adding a little bit of silk or the raimi just adds so much shine and mm. um, a little bit of uh, color flex. Um, the Shetland fleece is, is really strong. Um, that's why I wouldn't have a um just a straight fine wool yarn either because it kind of lacks integrity and it's so discouraging when the really soft yarns pill yeah Um, so when i went when i was starting to think about making yarn i thought about what i like to use um and what i wanted in a yarn and the reason i started blending was um you know i was talking about my my sheep Quinn and Phoebe and how their fleeces are triangular and each of their locks is kind of a blend by itself because it has the longer fibers and it also has the short crimpy fibers. Mm. So in a yarn blend, that's kind of what I was hoping to achieve. So with the longer silk or ramie fiber, and then adding to that shorter and shorter fibers that are also crimpier. Um, because I wanted a yarn that was lofty, but soft, but also was durable. Sure. So
0: when we're talking about pilling, is that, do you really honestly see with Shetland less of that? Do you see some of it or just none of it?
1: Um, No, uh, well, because I don't think I've ever knit with just straight Shetland. From the beginning, I've always blended. Okay, um, but, but with your
0: blends, do you see like pretty much a oh, reduction
1: in the pilling? Oh, absolutely. okay, absolutely. because um, I have a I have a cormo sweater that I spun. Um, and it's so pilly. Um, but I've never had to shave any of my my yarn sweaters, and I wear them all the time for years. It's definitely less pilly.
0: That's fascinating. And I Don't see, I've always just considered like, well, it's just gonna pill, it's just the way of life, and I just deal with it. I've never even thought that there would be any other way. So, I mean, I
1: will have some pilling, but nothing like my. I remember I had when I years and years ago I knit with a merino 5050 merino silk single, it was hand dyed, it was beautiful, and I knit a sweater with it. Well, it looks like I knit with eyelash yarn.
0: Oh because
1: no. It's so pilly and the pills are long and fringy. Oh no. Oh my gosh. Right. Wow. So after that I thought, you know, this is exactly what I don't want. Yeah. Because the shorter finer fibers, what happens is um they, you know, they're just fine. They're fine. So they get stretched and then they snap. Um I don't know if you've ever done with this with a str- you can do this with a strand of your hair. Um especially when it's wet, if you pull your strand of hair, it stretches out and then it snaps and then it curl. it's all like curled because it's been stretched. Mm. That's basic. I mean, that's how I understand what a pill is. Um, when I talked to Deb Robson about this um, last year, she actually said scientifically, they don't know exactly what a pill is. They don't know how it happens or why. Interesting. Yeah yeah, well, but that's, that's how I've fact. always understood it. Um, and certainly the the finer the fiber, the the more pilling that you'll have.
0: I suppose that makes sense as well, because I suppose the finer it is, the less strength it would have. Right. right. Okay. Okay. so that <laughs> that's sorted. <laughs> so, um, so kind of going back into talking about the natural colors, which I think is really interesting, especially with yeah. Shetlands in particular, because I know that they are not considered anymore to be a critical breed or an endangered breed, but they're technically in recovery because Mm -hmm. there was a point of time where the demand for the white coats Mm
1: -hmm. was
0: basically eliminating the need for those other coats to exist. Um, So I'm curious what specific colors you have in your flock.
1: Well, Shetlands are a little contrary, right? We went over that because I thought I had two black sheep Three more sheep and one fawn sheep, but they actually change their fleece colors as they get older. Um, and as far as I know, it's it's completely unpredictable. You don't know what colors are going to develop as um, from year to year. Quinn, my my black sheep, is now developing some very steel gray um, areas on her body. Um, Poppy, who also started out as um, black black. She's now more of a reddish brown, um, and my two Moritz, who were who started out chocolate brown, are now kind of a warm gray. Oh, and I had a light a fawn, which is a light brown. Um, she's now the color of um, like French vanilla ice cream. Uh, oh, wow. yeah. And Ruby actually, Ruby looks exactly the same as the day she was born, and <laughs> she'll probably stay that way.
0: I love that, though, because it's, I mean, the unpredictability in and of itself, I think, is something that's really exciting. Well, it makes my life pretty
1: exciting because from year to year, you know, I like to have a brown cream and gray wool. And I achieve that by, um, I'll take, in the past, the way I've gotten gray wool is by blending um, poppy's fleece, which is black, with a white fine wool. But now if I don't have a black sheep, I only have gray sheep, then I have to find a fine wool that's also gray because I don't want to find a black or a white wool. Right. Yeah, So there's a little bit
0: of kind of color chemistry going on there.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is that, you know, I've had a couple of brown yarns, a couple of cream yarns and a couple of gray yarns now. And from year to year, they're all different. I just really like
0: that, though. And me specifically, because I'm a natural dyer and it's almost the same when you're doing natural coloring with plants and things, you know, I could do the same thing every time, same water, same weight, you put in a material, you think it's the exact same as what you had last time, yet your color does not look identical. Right. keeps things interesting. It does. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of play. It's a lot of experimentation. And I think it's, I know, it does kind of break up that monotony of, mm-hmm. of things. I mean, if fiber can be in monotony, I don't know if it can. But So when we're kind of looking at the care that you do, now one thing that I know is that you don't coat your sheep. And I know that's kind of personal preference depending on, you know, the producer. But can you explain specifically what coating is and why you choose to
1: avoid it? Sure. Coating is when you put um, a jacket on a sheep to keep it, to keep the fleece clean, um, free of veggie matter. Um, It's a little labor intensive on the part of the farmer because you have to check regularly to make sure that you don't have moisture building up under the jacket um, to make sure that the skin underneath is healthy Mm -hmm. and you have to change the jackets periodically as the sheep grow. Um, For me, that question was kind of not a, not even a part of, um, you know, I didn't even have to consider it because Shetlands aren't generally coated. It's the fine fleece breeds that are coated because that fine fleece has a lot more lanolin than a Shetland wool, and lanolin is really sticky, so it traps that, it it traps all those hay bits and um, all those tight crimps basically um you know once a piece of hay falls into it it's kind of stuck on there from the lanolin and then trapped from by all the crimps Mm. uh the shetland fleeces the lock structure is much more open has less lanolin so it's not as sticky so generally it it kind of um it'll brush out um and that was really important because the mill that i use in pennsylvania they they um it's minimally processed so you know um At a large commercial, at an industrial mill, fleeces um, are—they're put through a a, a, treated with a chemical um, bath to dissolve every trace of veggie matter. Mm. Um, My mill, they just wash the fleeces in a series of large laundry tubs. It means that there's going to be little flecks, um, a certain amount of veggie matter, but at the same time, um, I think it maintains, uh, some of the sheepy, uh, characteristics of the fleece because it's been processed less.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's really authentic. I mean, when you think about it, if you have something, some little bits of hay, I always love finding those in my arm.
1: (laughs) It's a little bit of pain. You do have, you know, it slows down your knitting if you're, if you really want to finish that sleeve. Um, but I, but it feels different and it's, it's noticeably different Um, my minimally processed yarn definitely feels very different from uh, a commercially processed yarn but um, back to the coating that was another reason I chose the Shetlands because if I had a fine wool breed um, I would have to coat and it would be more difficult um, at my mill because even with the coats The sheep get dirtiest right at their necks, right at the backs of their necks. And that's where the jackets stop, too. So, yeah, so it still gets a little bit of veggie matter and it would have been more difficult um, for my mill. Um, But, you know, not jacketing, it's just it's just one less complication that um, I have to deal with. Um, I understand why um shepherds have to coat their fleeces and my first batches i was using uh, a cvm Rommeldale to blend and they were coated but lately i found um i found a a coriadale a really fine coriadale farmer and i don't believe she coats my shepherdess that i get cormo from she doesn't jacket
0: either and there is some vegetative matter that ends up in it but again like i really love that so I guess they say vegetable matter, not vegetative matter, but I think it makes more sense to say vegetative, but that's my personal preference. Anyway, (laughs) we'll skip that. Veggie. Yeah, veggie. veggie, It's a lot less syllables. Um, (laughs) We're getting into the thick of lambing season right now. And I know a little bit, but for somebody who isn't familiar with the lambing process, can you give us details about it and what a
1: shepherd's responsibilities are in that? Sure. Um, so I'm dying right now because I am lambing really late. Um, I didn't get my ram till January, so my lamb watch doesn't even start until May 28th. Um, I generally lamb later because I have to have my lambs after Maryland Sheep and Wool um, because I vend there, and I can't have lambs dropping before, right before, or while I'm away. Um, and Maryland Sheep and Wool is the first weekend in May. The producers who are uh, lambing for the meat market or for the show circuit, they lamb earlier so that their lambs are big enough by the summer. Um, Mine aren't going to market, and I don't show my sheep, so I have a little bit more leeway. Mm -hmm. Um, So mine will be due probably 1st of June. Um, One consideration about lambing so late, you'd think that it would be all good because at least it's not freezing, right? But one consideration is that the lambs are hitting the grass um, at peak worm count time. Oh. Uh, Yeah, and especially with, we've had record-breaking rain, spring, summer, fall, and winter. So um, nothing dried out. Um, So I, you know, the parasite load in my field is something that I always worry about, Um, but having a small flock And um, a big field, a couple of big fields helps. um, So, um, but the lambing, so I have my dates. I have a calendar for um, when Lamb Watch starts. And by the end of May, I'll gather my whole lambing kit. And my lambing kit is things like gloves, um, KY jelly. This is for if I have to go in um all of my sheep care books my sheep library my sheep manual library goes into the barn um i have lanterns a thermometer um iodine for the belly button um a little lamb scale my lambing journal and lots and lots of towels um if one thing really surprised me it was um i i didn't expect lambing to be as uh, splashy as it ended <laughs> up being <laughs> Um, and once it all starts, my responsibility is mostly to make sure that things are progressing, um, properly and in a timely way. Once the water breaks, uh, the lamb has one hour to come out. Um, so I kind of start looking at the clock and I make sure that what I'm seeing are two hooves that are, um, pointing down and a little nose right in between, Mm -hmm. um, Once the lamb is born, I help the mom um, dry off the lamb. Um, That's where the towels come in. Sure. Um, And if I think the lamb is looking kind of limp, um, I grab it by the back legs and I will swing the lamb around to to get it to suck in that first breath. Uh, Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I have a really good grip on it too. Um, And then once it's up, I make sure that it latches on. Now, uh, there's something that you call it, it's, it that you do it's called stripping the udder and it's there's a little plug um, in the udder that you want to get out. I mean, lambs do it by themselves too, but it's just as easy for me to do it. And that way I can check to make sure that the colostrum is coming. Um, so I I make sure I get that plug out of um, the udder and I make sure that the lamb is latching on properly and nursing. Um, and then after that, it's just a matter of weighing, making sure that they're gaining weight. So that's the ideal lambing. Now, <laughs> there's a lot of things, you know, there are a lot of things that can happen in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where all the books come in. And I i am really lucky. I have a great vet that I can call at any time of night. Um, my sheep tended to go into labor at midnight last year. So there were a couple of midnight phone calls with my vet. So do you sleep in the barn during that time?
0: Um,
1: I come home sometimes. <laughs> sure. Uh, I have a chair. I have... Um, I have um a blanket um so i can i can kind of tell when things are going to happen okay yeah they they start making a certain sound it it sounds like a horse nickering they start mm. talking to their bellies it's really sweet oh yeah um so that's what i'm listening for and the first sign is usually sheep like to come into my sheep normally Never come into the barn. they hate being inside. Um, but they'll come in the barn and they'll just kind of start gazing at a wall. Um, and when they do that, um, then I start checking, then I make sure that uh, I start checking on them if it's overnight. Um, okay yeah. That's me, and I'm like the hel- you know I'm like the helicopter lambing farmer, right? Because <laughs> when I went to the Shetland Islands. And I asked them about lambing. Uh, what did I ask them? I said, So what do you use as bedding um when you lamb? And they said, bedding? And I said, Yeah, in the barn. And they said, barn. <laughs> <laughs> right? So their lambing method was they come out in the morning and there's a lamb or there's not. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so then of course I was I was thinking, but where do you plug in the baby monitor? <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, that is so interesting because it seems like a lot of people spend all their time with the
1: sheep during lambing. And I think it also depends on how many sheep you have. Um, you know, I only have six, so um, it was happening sporadically. If you have, uh, if you have two hundred head sheep, then there's lambing happening. Multiple lambing is happening, right? um, around Mm -hmm. the clock. So I didn't have that. Oh, but I, and I do have, um, I was joking about the baby monitor, (laughs) but I do have a uh, camera in my barn. So, (laughs) um, I can come to bed and I can check on my phone I can check to see what's going on in the barn from my phone. Thank goodness for modern
0: technology. Right. That is awesome. I, I think that's great that you're able to do that. Um, so I, we know that you have sheep. And we know that you, we know that you produce yarn from the sheep, but I know also that you do a slew of other things on the farm as well. And I would just like to know what all those things are.
1: Uh, well, I have a teaching studio. I have a I have a renovated barn um, that has a big, great room uh, where I have I I have workshops for spinning dyeing and weaving um, so I teach those I, I teach it as workshops I teach it as um, individual lessons um, I have I'll host a um, open farm day uh, when people can come visit with the sheep uh, I live in an area where there are actually um, lots of artists right on my street Um so last year when I had my farm tour I invited um, three of my neighbors to come and they had a little table set up. Um, One was a painter, one's a photographer, one is a woodworker. Um, So that was really fun. I love that. And
0: the fact that you're able to include other, you know, artists in it, it's kind of like almost a little, almost like a little festival, really.
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, it is it is really fun um because it's a great time for me to see all my neighbors because we're all spread out um so yeah so they all pop in now this year i'll have my farm tour on june 30th um because i'll have lambs oh yes and that is extra fun
0: yeah (laughs) well i really appreciate you taking the time to kind of uh, really explain out a lot of things especially for me because I'm a little uneducated on some of this stuff um, but I would like to know too where if people want to learn more about your farm and maybe keep a watch for any you know yarn that comes up when your small batches
1: come out where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram my account is anne, A-N-N-E dot choy, choi c h o i. And uh, my website is middlebrookfiberworks.com. On the website, I have a blog. Uh, I think the last one I wrote about must have been um, bringing the lamb over or the ram over for breeding. And I love
0: your blog, too, because there's a ton of information in it. There's (laughs) a lot of tutorials. I think you have, don't you have a two-part series on lambing? Um, Yes. Like lambing 101. So if anyone's interested in like kind of really getting into having their own sheep, I think it would be a really great resource.
1: Oh, good. It's so nice to hear that, that someone's reading it. Um, (laughs) You know, I have, you know, it's because I have these ideas because, um, you know, I talk to other farmers, I chat up farmers, especially around lambing season um, because I love hearing their stories. You know, I have a library of sheep care manuals, but there's nothing like, Hearing someone who's been raising sheep for thirty years, just the the stories that they have, um, and the funny thing is, whenever whenever I ask uh, a question, if I ask two shepherds the same question, I'll get five answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there's just no standard, Um, but I love to hear all the answers so that I can kind of decide what my answer is going to be. Right. Um, Yeah, and what I found is that all of those answers are generally right because sheep are contrary and sometimes something applies and sometimes it really doesn't apply. Um, So for me, the best way to um, make any sort of decision about sheep care is to kind of have everybody's answers and then just go through all of them, them and see what works.
0: That makes sense. There's just so many different variables in it, even within just a particular breed, within a particular location,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: you just never know what could happen.
1: Yeah, it was remarkable to me that when I had Shetlands, when I talked to other, um, when I talked to sheep breeders with other sheep, sometimes what they would say just didn't apply to my sheep. I mean, Shetlands are known to be easy lammers, so a lot of uh, lambing complications just didn't apply. Um, Oh, and of course, something really basic, like um, Shetlands have naturally short tails, so I don't have to dock lambs' tails. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, all the other breeds, they have long tails, which are docked to prevent fly strike. That was just another complication I didn't want to have to deal with. Um, Sure, When my sheep are born, they naturally have their short tails. That is nice. Yeah, it
0: seems like there's a lot of really, you know, nice positives to that breed um, that kind of make them, well, I guess easygoing, for lack of a
1: better word. Oh, yeah, they're a great beginner. They're a great beginner flock um, because they kind of take care of themselves. They're hardy. They're kind of smart. So because I've heard about you know, we've all heard the stories, right, about the sheep that gets its head stuck in a fence, yes, every day, day after day. Yes. <laughs> so my Shetlands would really not do that. <laughs> <laughs> they would just make fun of the sheep who did that. Oh, my gosh.
0: That makes me laugh because that happened. so we had um Hampshires growing up. Uh-huh. And, yes.
1: that, and that did happen
0: all the time all the time
1: <laughs> right I had a friend in college and he said he was from Wyoming and his summer job was to dry the perimeter of his family sheep farm and find the sheep heads that were stuck and just stick them back in the fence every day <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny <laughs> yeah oh. no my my sheep would really make fun of any sheep that would do that <laughs>
0: That is so great. Well, I, again, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time and giving us all this great information.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I'm always happy to talk about my sheep.
0: So I realized after I hung up with Anne that I had completely forgotten to ask, you know, like 700 things that I was really interested in. hearing about because we just got so caught up in conversation but one thing specifically was getting into the subject of ramey and what that is so what i'm going to do is i'm going to go ahead and include some information in the show notes along with everything else that we talked about and you can find that at www.woolanddye.com slash podcast